0: The Gist is sponsored by Sherry's Berries. Treat your mom to something sweet this Mother's Day with a gift from Sherry's Berries. Fresh berries dipped in chocolate start at nineteen ninety nine. Visit berries.com, click on the microphone, and use the code GIST. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com and the promo code GIST. And by the Netflix original documentary series Chef's Table. Go Inside the Lives and Kitchens of Six of the World's Most Renowned International Culinary Talents. Directed by David Gelb, the creator of Jiro Dreams of Sushi. All episodes now streaming on Netflix. The following podcast contains explicit language. <laughs> It's Friday, May 1st, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. This week, as you know, many events overtook what was a very monumental case before the Supreme Court. And we have audio of that case. At stake were fundamental issues of decency, fairness, respect, and recasting a mindset. A mindset that, frankly, is just outdated, though some, like Justice Antonin Scalia, still were speaking quite clearly from a place of fear.
1: The government can prohibit the, the introduction of harmful pesticides into interstate commerce. I'm not sure it can prohibit the introduction of raisins.
0: Wait, what case do you think I was talking about? No, I meant the case about raisins. Here's Chief Justice Roberts. And you can do what you've done in most other marketing orders, which is not take the raisins. We're here. We're formerly grapes. Get used to it. In this case, raisin farmer Marvin Horn challenged a policy dating back to the New Deal, which authorized the Raisin Administrative Committee. It makes raisin growers in California and other places take their crop off the market, and Marvin Horn wants to keep his raisins. They're his. What business... Is it of yours what he does with his own raisins in the privacy of his own vineyard? His relationship with his raisins does not denigrate the overall institution of raisins. And most peer-reviewed studies show that raisin raisins in a true farmer or true farmer's wife family does not lead to extra tartness or wrinkling later in life. Sounds ridiculous, huh? Justice Kagan agrees. I mean, we could think that this is a ridiculous program. Isn't that right? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about raisins, they are raisins, they are not animals! Which also came up.
1: Because raisins are not wild animals, even if they're dancing.
0: In summary...
1: Paid the producers for their raisins, those raisins became part of the inventory. When the uh, Raisin Administrative Committee, which I'll refer to as the RAC, uh, came after the raisins. Is they normally, off with raisins? what was the thing. reserve raisins? Of course, the RAC uh, sold the raisins, and uh, there was a market for the raisins. Mr. McConaughey, this is probably neither here nor there, but what has the impact of the drought been on the raisin producers? Do you know? Uh, it is uh, not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> on the show today, we heard it through the grapevine that it's an antan twig, but before that, the man who is a perfect blend of the classic comedy and tragedy masks. An interesting conversation with comedian Artie Lang. Mom, she's good for the last bite. Wait, isn't that coffee? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Mom is good for giving you, letting you have the last bite. So now, Sherry's Berries is asking, is it a time to let her have the last bite? A good gift makes her eyes water give her a gift that makes her mouth water too. You don't want to think of your mom as some drooling, strawberry-obsessed beast, but you know what? These strawberries will do that to her. They're dipped in chocolate it's not just strawberries. They have cake truffles, brownie pops, pretzels, and more. Berries? Oh, the berries, such big berries. White chocolate, milk chocolate, dark chocolate. Some have nuts, some don't. They all look good. They're all gigantic. Some have chocolate chips. They're shipped to you in a box that stays cool. So cool opening the berries, too. You need to use my code GIST when you order these giant, fresh, juicy, delicious berries. The only way you could get the deal, and I got the deal. I brought the berries home. The kids love the berries. Not for you, kids. It's for the mom. It's Mother's Day coming up. Freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99. That's 40% off. $19.99. Go to berries.com. Click the microphone and type in the code GIST, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click the microphone in the top right corner. The code to type is GIST. I'll say it again. Go to berries.com. Click on the microphone. Enter my code, the GIST. Why? Berries. Artie Lang used to work with the guy they call the king of all media, but he's got a claim to that throne, right? TV, you got Mad TV, you got The Norm Show, movies, you got Beer League, Dirty Work, books, great books. Too Fat to Fish, great title, great book. Crash and Burn, radio, of course, The Howard Stern Show. Now he's Artie Quitter as a podcast. He's also in a new movie called Laugh killer laugh right doesn't have a huge scene tells a couple jokes we cut to the very disturbing face of william forsyth yeah yeah is yeah. that a comedy enhancer or <laughs>
1: well i think it's a dark comedy enhancer he's a you know i met him uh, when we shot it he's got a charisma that's really crazy but i i, I thought it was an interesting uh, film to be a part of uh but uh i had fun because the director is uh, Kamel Kamal Ahmed from the Jerky Boys. Yeah. yeah. He's, fr- he's a friend of mine. And so he just said, do a cameo. He asked me if he said, yeah. I need a stand-up comic and... Uh... He said, would you mind doing some of your uh, old material? I said, sure. Uh, The reason I did drugs was I think the anti-drug slogans when I was a kid were bad. Like, Remember, hugs are better than drugs? That didn't work for me. Uh, My mother used to scream that at me as I left the house. Remember, hugs are better than drugs, and I believed her. I believed everything my mother said until the first time I got high at a party. (laughs) I leaned back and I was like, Wow. This is way better than when my mother hugs me. <laughs> what else has she been lying to me about? Oh my God! Do I not have great bone structure?
0: <laughs> so I, of course, like everyone, loved you on The Stern Show, and it's just the quickness. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Would you pretty much say every funny thing you thought of, or was there a lot of sitting and waiting for your turn to, you know, launch, launch a bomb?
1: Uh, no, I, I, anything that came to my head I was allowed to say. Uh, my mic was always on, and I'm the only other person besides Robin he ever did that for, which was kind of flattering. My mic was just always on. And he said, if you think of something funny, you know, try to obviously make it with timing and interject them when it's appropriate in the conversation, but I, I, he just let me do my thing. Hey, some some guy sent me an email about you already that, like, he said that in high school, you and some chick went to a bank
0: and pretended to rob it. Yeah. Is that true?
1: That's true. I got arrested for attempted at bank robbery me and my girlfriend at the time and i I thought this was a goof no 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 this was like (laughs) you were a mess yeah a bit of a mess i was as big a fan of that show as anybody So I knew when to shut up as well as when to talk because I was a fan and I knew Howard's sensibility, I think, from listening so much, and that helped. The big times to shut up is when he's going deep with a celebrity who's giving him stuff. Yeah, if he's on a roll with Robin, uh, or if he's telling his own story about what happened that weekend, people love hearing that, and if he's... Talking to a guest,
0: yeah. Uh, now, the, the friction, such as there was, and I know you've talked about it and you're still on good terms, right. but did it ever come from anything you said on the air that he didn't like, or just, you know, you're dealing with a lot of chemical stuff, a lot of, sometimes you wouldn't uh, show up?
1: I think, uh, yeah, I think I said some stuff, you know. I mean, we were, you know, we did a five hour radio show for eight and a half years, five days a week, basically, and, uh, you know, you're going to say stuff
0: that's going to aggravate each other. Yeah. Was that the highlight of your non-stand-up career? Because I know stand-up has a special place for you. I think it's the highlight, highlight of my career. Yeah, Yeah, no,
1: doing the Stern show was like the closest I've ever been to being a rock star. It was great. It was great.
0: By the end on K-Rock, was it really getting to him, all the censorship? Was it just a drag? Was it a drag for you? Yeah, because it was a drag
1: for him, which I, mean, I was frustrating to see him frustrated. And uh, as a guy who was trying to be funny on the show, it was frustrating for me, too, because my stuff started to get edited, too, and you start to feel his pain. You think you're saying something that's so funny, and you realize nobody in the audience heard it because it got dumped. you got to remember, that was right after the Janet Jackson thing, and they were coming down hard, and we got suspended from a couple of markets, and it was, it was time to leave. he he and I believe him. I think he said, if "Serious didn't come about. He might have hung him up on regular radio." Well, what was the most surprising thing
0: that you said? Where you said you censored that?
1: Oh, uh, I know it's a so fart many. noise. Really, uh, literally a fart noise. We 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 uh, we talked about uh, a chick farting in the news or something like, uh, and uh, Freddie made a noise and they and they they beeped it and it was like, my God. Uh, it's like a seventh grade humor joke, but in a funny way, and they, they beeped that. When that happened, I said, well, they're out of control.
0: They're that scared. Yeah. I mean, and something that The Stern Show and Fred has been doing for yeah. have been doing for a decade.
1: We're going backwards with yeah. censorship. Yeah. That's what that was. we scary about it. We're going
0: backwards with
1: the progress of China, you know.
0: Do you remember? I remember when I first started listening to the Stern Show, and I was uh, probably too young. But my dad loved radio, and Mm -hmm. I was ten. And he said, "I think we're a few years apart." And he said, "You got to listen to this guy. Here are the bits he does. He does Hill Street Jews. Uh, He does E.T. the Extra Testicle. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) But Hill Street Jews was not bad. Right. And then, and this was some of the stuff in the movie. He was doing a Match Game. You know, Match. I have old tapes. Right. Match Game '86. Match Game. You know, '87. Lou Ferrigno. The joke there being, Lou Ferrigno's kind of deaf. deaf, yeah. yeah. A, a lesbian dial-a-date. Yeah, I, the same way.
1: I was 13. My father turned me on to the show. And, you know, back in 1982, that material was crazy. And you couldn't believe what he was doing. And my father said, you got to hear this guy on the radio. And I went to work with him in a van. And we uh, we listened. And so when I got there, I mean, to my family, you know, and the kids I grew up with, it was like becoming a senator for me. <laughs> I mean, that's how much they respected the job. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Satan says to you, he says, hey, you know, uh, you want to, you know, party tonight? There's a couple of broads over here. It would be, you know, they party, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, I had a, I had a lot of money on me and I, and I bought, um, a couple of bags, and I and I ended up. How much is uh, a bag? What's a couple of bags cost? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the the bags. I, I uh, forty dollars. Forty dollars oh, a bag? Oh, yeah. How long to is a bag? ruin your life, it's only forty dollars. Yeah. yeah, not even free for you. I mean, you're already laying. I mean, here the here's Satan well, doesn't give you a taste. That's for what free. happened. Yeah, I did. I got several for free. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah.
0: How did they want to integrate your stories of rehab on the show? Did you did you talk it out beforehand?
1: Yes. No. Yeah. With well, my you know Howard was like you know just whatever you think's a good story just tell it and yeah he he wouldn't he that's the thing he would never make you tell a story beforehand uh and i would say what if it sucks on the air he goes well then we'll just say it sucks people like that better we'll goof on it being a bad story <laughs> um if it's a good story it's a good story so mm-hmm. you know he, he never uh, made you rehearse it because you, know, you don't want it to sound and he wanted people to be reacting to it for the first time for real you know
0: I mean, do you hold back about the things that happened to you? Have you told basically everything in one form Not or another? Not everything.
1: There's no one, no comic. I think even Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce would say they haven't told everything that's happened. But uh, I try to tell as much as I can because um, I like the connection I've been able to make with the audience. I like the connection of, you know, they, they know me as the guy that's like, who's going to tell them what's going on? You know, uh, and... uh and be honest with
0: them. Before you went to rehab, before the suicide attempts, was your comedy, even 15 years ago, the comedy that got you the gig on the show where you really funny and sharp, was it as personal and confessional? It was, yeah. What got me popular with Howard
1: was for appearances I made on the show over a two-year period that I made with Norm Macdonald where we went in and promoted a movie we did twice. Once when it came in, out in theaters and once when it came out on DVD and then... I did two seasons of Norm's sitcom, and we went in at the beginning of each season to promote it. So I went in a total of four times with Norm to promote projects we had going on in movies and TV. And I told stories about screwing up, Yeah. and Howard loved them. Yeah. You know He likes those stories, and he liked my honesty. So, yeah, stories like that and telling them the way I did got me to, at least noticed enough where Jackie left, and I was free. He remembered me from telling those stories and got me in the rotation on the chair... And that same type of brand humor got me the job.
0: Now, as far as the, uh, what you talk about, the confessional stuff, you know, I, I listened to you on WTF with Mark Maron. I listen to you on a lot of these podcasts with right. Rogan. Now, Mark Maron pretty much thinks that if you're not being personal and confessional, there's like a limit to how great a comedian you could be. Yeah. But what about, I mean, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's not my favorite comedian. Right. I still think he's kind of a genius and kind of a master right. and a great writer of jokes. So what do you think? Can you be a really great comedian if you're not personal? Sure you can.
1: Sure you can. Everybody's different. Brian Regan's another example of a a guy that's not being so confessional and not
0: and not dirty at all. Well, and he's, one of the, and he's one
1: of the best ever. I think there it, it doesn't necessarily go both ways, but there is uh, a group of people where if they don't mind that personal thing, they'll never be funny. But there are people who don't have to do it to be funny. That being said, other than the major exceptions like a Regan or a Seinfeld, to me, the ones I'm the most fascinated with are the
0: guys that are honest about screwing up you know artie lang he's in the new movie laugh killer laugh which is a really good interesting movie and also everyone in it has an interesting face
1: yeah that's you know, interesting face not a good looking movie but an interesting <laughs> face movie that's a great way to put it. interesting face I movie. i think that's a great I way i think put the it.
0: interesting face movies versus the overly good looking face movies i take the uh, first <laughs> rather than the second <laughs> we're seeing
1: a lot more of that
0: man <laughs> artie lang thanks so much artie. thank you very much this was nice thank excellent you. This episode of The Gist is brought to you by the Netflix original documentary series, Chef's Table, which offers viewers the opportunity to go inside the lives and kitchens of six of the world's most renowned international culinary talents. The series is directed by David Gelb, the creator of Jiro Dreams of Sushi. What makes a chef? Signature dishes, kitchen experience, culinary training, and personal heritage, or is it something else? step behind the scenes for an up close look at the amazing journeys of six culinary superstars from around the world with Chef's Table, a new documentary series from Netflix. Here are the regions and the chefs. Ben Shuri of Melbourne, Australia. Magnus Nilsson of Yarpen, Sweden. Francis Malman, Buenos Aires. It's in Argentina, you know that. Nikki Nakayama, LA. Dan Barber, NYC. Massimo Bottura, Modena, Italy. All episodes now streaming on Netflix. And now the spiel. It's an antan twig. If you knew that a concept, antan twig, it couldn't be simpler. Series double H antan twigs are subject to the regulation of the Department of Treasury. Now or hereafter prescribed governing United States savings antan twig of Series EE or HH contained in Department of Treasury Circular Fiscal Services. Series 380 is amended 31 CFR Part 353. hereinafter referred to as Circular 380. Got it? Oh wait. That wasn't the Antan Twig after all. That was the IRS talking about bonds. Okay, Antan twig just means a three-week period. Like Fortnite means a two-week period. Both words are from the old English, and they're a useful or an antan twig is a useful opportunity for us to correct, to amplify, to reestablish some credibility. Here's a letter from Julian Boggs, longtime listener, first time complainer. Love it when they start like that. Was delighted earlier today. I heard you tell possibly my favorite joke the one about the frog in the bank, but my delight quickly turned to dismay when you totally blew the punchline. So, my joke about a frog in a bank, the premises, there's a new loan officer, her name's Patricia, Patricia Wax, you call her Patty, Patty Wax. The frog has a trinket that he wants to use as collateral. But Julian said, and others pointed me to, an extra element in the joke that I should have added. There's this guy, Kerry O'Keefe, he's a famous Australian cricket announcer, and he once told a version of the joke the proper joke on the air here's his setup
1: a frog goes into a bank and approaches the teller he can tell from a nameplate that her name is patricia Wack. miss Wack, i'd like to get a thirty thousand dollar loan to take a holiday bracken to uh, Car,
0: who leaves the ball moving away from him
1: Paddy looks at the frog in disbelief and asks
0: his name the frog says his name is kermit jagger his dad is mick jagger And you see, the difference between me and Kerry O'Keefe, there are little subtle differences, but the big one here is that I leave out the part that the frog is Kermit Jagger, okay? And the joke goes through its machinations. I'm not going to give you the full sell, right? The part where I say, oh, it's a trinket, a novelty, a gigaw, a biblo, an ornament, a trifle, a bobble, a gimcrack, a curio, a tchotchke. Not going to do that. I'm going to just cut right to Kerry O'Keefe delivering his version of the punchline.
1: The bank manager looks back at her and says...
0: It's a knick-knack, paddy Give the frog a loan. His old man is a rolling
1: stone.
0: (laughs) All right, so O'Keefe does the whole, it's a knick-knack, paddy give the frog a loan. On this, we agree. On this, and the antipodal, antipodal, Australian feller, and I agree. But then he says, his old man's a rolling stone. I don't like that. I don't like doing the joke like that. Kermit Jagger, you know, it adds a little detail, like it's kind of a joke within a joke. And usually you don't want to be funny within the joke in a way that's not exactly leading to the punchline. You know, he wants $30,000. It was a pink elephant. I kept it vague. I once heard that The great one, Jackie Gleason, had this rule of comedy called the wild turkey rule, which is you have a guy walk into a bar and he gets a drink. That is how to set up a joke. But if you say, guy walks into the bar, says, let me have a wild turkey, that's it. Every, unless the punchline is relevant to wild turkey, everyone's mind just goes to the wild turkey. And why is it wild turkey? And I think, even though I like the aspects of his old man's a rolling stone, I think it's gilding the lily. Or whatever, I don't know. Is that a lily or a trifle, a bauble, a gimcrack? Moving on. Phil, I'm going to say kanisi K-N-E-E-S-S-I. Nisi? Kalisi. Let's say Kinesi. Phil Kinesi wrote after we talked to Chris Malamphy about great songs from 1965. And in that conversation, I did say something about uh, Herman Hermit's Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, and called it sort of a trifle or a novelty song. He correctly notes, Phil makes a good case, he says, 50 years later, it's easy, I suppose, to dismiss it as a novelty song, especially when contrasted with Satisfaction or I Feel Fine, which have harder edges, but if you listen to the song, it's really a sweet little tale of lost love, and in the middle of the British invasion, I'd never thought of this, here's a singer who actually sounded British, not a wannabe blues soul singer. Good point, Phil Canessi. Kinesi good point. Another good email from Joe Rosbars, who said, can you weigh in on strength slash strength, length slash length pronunciation? I don't know how to really say this email out loud. I think he's asking me to weigh in on the strength slash strength and the length slash length. How would you, Andrea, like what's the, is there a right way to pronounce length? That's not length. Where people say the G? Length. Length. Yes. <laughs> that's me weighing in on it, Rose bars Also, strength. I do say strength and strength, but I probably should say them sh- strength. What, what, what am I supposed to say here? Strength. Strength? I don't know. Rose bars you nailed me. Charles Clay writes in, great show as usual, Mike. Now that's how you start a Facebook post. Love the credits, but there was no Colonel Mustard ending in Clue. I think you meant to say that Miss Scarlet ending was better than the Mrs. Peacock ending. I happen to agree. Maybe it was you, Senor Clay, with the ceramic Dalmatian in the fenced-in porch. Hmm? Hmm? All right, I made a mistake. I uh, mistakenly referred to RFK as director of the FBI when I was talking about the complaints that he received over Louis Louis. Obviously, he was the attorney general, but I wanted to read one of those complaints. Dear Mr. Kennedy, Who do you turn to when your teenage daughter buys and brings home pornographic or obscene material being sold along with objects being directed and aimed at the teenage market in every city, village, and record shop in the nation? The answer is you turn to Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, not FBI Director Robert F. Kennedy. And now it comes time to name the Antan Twigs Lopstar. The Lopstar is the listener who contributes the most, be it on Facebook, be it on email, be it on social media, Uh, Twitter, I think we call it, Rolf Jacobson. He's a past almost winner, and I want to highlight him again in that status. So if the lobster cannot serve out his duties, Ralph, you win. And I'll tell you why. He sent me an email. It was about flags and flag design. I'm going to use his ideas in a uh, future Vexillology segment. But here's how it starts. Dear Mr. Pesca's email reader, I was reading the slate today and saw a story you need to tell your boss about. Don't just say you're not interested. Look at it first and send it to him. Let the big man decide. I can Can't let a gatekeeper be in the way of my goal. I don't know if this is a delightful fiction perpetrated by Rolf Jacobson, or he honestly believes that I have someone, anyone under me, who's reading my email. But I was tickled. Anyway, I'm giving the lobster of this Antan twig to Kevin Humphrey, who corresponded with us once as far as I could tell. It was a very streamlined email, and it was excellent. Mike, you missed the chance for an international angle hypertext on executive hairlines. Dasvidaniya, Kevin Humphrey. This is when I was asking the question, can a bald man ever be president again? I clicked on that hyperlink and I came to a delightful Wikipedia page. I did not know this. It turns out that the rulers of Russia have, for a couple hundred years, gone in the bald-hairy order, and all Russians know this. Bald-hairy is a common joke in Russian political discourse referring to the empirical rule of the state leader's secession defined as a change of a bald leader with a hairy one and vice versa. And then you have delightful illustrations. Nicholas I, bald. Alexander II, hairy. Alexander II the third, bald, Nicholas II, Harry. You got a bald Nicholas, you got a hairy Nicholas, in between them, you got two Alexanders, one is hairy, one is bald, bringing it on up to, I mean, this goes with Lenin, this goes with Stalin, Khrushchev, bald, Brezhnev, Harry, Andropov, bald, Trinchenko, Harry, Gorbachev, bald, with that weird spot, Yeltsin, Harry, you know, big sweep of white hair, Putin, bald, Miedvedad Harry. He really was the leader. Then he became only the titular leader. And then Putin was like, I'll take it back and I'll get a little balder in the process. I knew about the fat after the fat Pope, the lean Pope dictum that they say about electing a Pope. I did not know about bald Harry. Bald Harry has not only changed my life. It has given you Kevin Humphrey, the designation love star of the Antan Twig. That's it for today's show. The staff of The Gist is as follows in an order of my choosing. Andrea Salenzi, producer. Mike Pesca host. Joel Meyer, managing producer. Andy Bowers, executive producer. Harry bald, Harry bald. Amazing. This pattern will continue into next week because I will be having some guest hosts on the show on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Turns out Tuesday is our one-year anniversary, and I get to take off for three days. Where will I go? Nowhere. I'll just be catching up on some old Games of Thrones, maybe a couple old episodes of Backstrom, maybe an episode or two of Bad Judge. Kind of lost the thread on that one. Don't hear too much about it anymore. Anyway, let me announce who the hosts are going to be. Zoe Chase, David Plotz, and Sean Ramos for him. Guess what? Harry, bald, Harry. Although Zoe, formerly of Planet Money, now of This American Life, she'll be Wednesday's hosts, Sean will be Thursday's hosts, and Plots will end the week. And me, I will be reveling in the gist turning one, which is legal to drink in Germany. And remember, Raisin. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm James Ledbetter. I'm the host of Inc. Uncensored, a podcast about business, startups, entrepreneurship, technology, cool companies, and just about anything else that hits the like buttons of the fantastic people who write and edit for Inc. This week, we're going to be talking about, Maria... Why Apple Pay is winning the absolutely no stakes payments war? <laughs> Exciting, John. The squeeze for office space in Silicon Valley. And Will. And I'll talk about my trip to Denver, where I got to see hundreds of pounds of cannabis, fields of weed plants, and tons of cash. There you go. Join <laughs> us at Inc Uncensored, part of the Panoply Network.